are you? If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 John chapter 1. We will be looking at verses 14 through 18. 1 John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Advent is a is a time of celebration, preparation, and expectation. And you know, Christians around the world are celebrating the first coming of Christ. And they're also preparing and waiting with expectation for his second coming. Advent, if we're honest, is is it's about God anticipating our need and proactively providing for it through his son, through Jesus Christ. As Christ says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life within him. The coming of the light, the coming, the light, the coming of the light in the world, this light of Christ is a transcendent light. We talked about that last week. He's otherworldly. And please know that that Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is divine. He's creator. He's God. And we also talked about the fact that Jesus comes as a light that illuminates. He comes as a light that reveals. And what does he reveal? He he reveals to the world God's plan of redemption. And that is himself. He is God's plan of redemption. And today and at this moment and this sermon, we're going to see that Jesus is also a light that is imminent. A light that is personal, a light that is close to us. So if you have your Bible, First John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Here's God's word to, to his beloved people. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from him and from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him God's word. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, we ask again for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to move in our minds, to move in in our families, and to move in our life. We come as men and women who need to receive a word from you. We come as boys and girls and who they need to receive a word from you. No matter our age, no matter what we're going through, no matter who we are, no matter where we live, we need Jesus. We all share that in common. No matter our walks of life, we all need Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take these words and apply it to the hearts of everyone that's here and also apply it to my heart because I need the same gospel. I need the same grace. 
And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. NBA superstar Stephen Curry plays point guard for the Golden State Warriors. And Curry is one of the most popular NBA players on the planet right now. And recently, one of his young fans sent him a handwritten letter. The fan is nine years old. Her name is Kylie Morrison. She's a big Steph Curry fan. She loves Steph Curry. She loves attending his games with her dad. She, she, she also wants to wear a pair of his new shoes, the Curry Fives. And, but the issue she ran into is that those shoes are only sold in boy sizes on the Internet. And that's what prompted her to write Curry this letter and to bring this issue to his attention. And so he eventually receives the letter, her handwritten note. He reads it, and guess what? He doesn't throw it in the trash. He doesn't pass it off to his PR person or the team rep. He doesn't blow her off. This NBA superstar, he's, move, he, he's moved into action. He even sends her a handwritten note in response, letting her know that he and Under Armour are going to correct this issue on the website. And in this letter, he writes to her, I'm going to send you a pair of my Curry Fives, and you'll be one of the first kids to get the Curry Six. Lastly, we are having something special in the works for the International Women's Day on March, and I want you to celebrate with me. Plan to be in Oakland that night. Can you see what Curry has done here? He relates to one of his young fans personally and intimately here. He personally addresses her issue and deals with it. He extends a personal invitation for her to be with him on a special night. This interaction between Raleigh and Curry is one example of eminence. It's to be present, to be personal to be involved. Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world to be fully present with us. Do you believe that? To be personally and proactively involved with us. He comes into the world to deal with our greatest need himself. He didn't pass it off. He dealt with it himself. He comes into the world as one of us, lives among us, close to us. He understands us. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The same word that was in the beginning, the same word that was with God, the same word that was God, the same word. has become incarnate. The word has become flesh. Jesus is an imminent light. But do you believe it? In what you're currently going through, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You see, having a proper understanding of Jesus is critical. He's fully God, right? He's other than us because he's fully God. He's like us because he's fully human. He's unlike us because he's sinless. Jesus is the God-man. The God-man. And he was born that way. Did you realize that? He didn't become God. He was born God. But do we believe that? 
born with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, born transcendent and eminent, born above us and yet born to live with us. Not as the Ebenezer Scrooge, but he lives with us like a good neighbor. The Message Bible says, Steve read this last week, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Your neighborhood. On your street. Next to your house. Next to your apartment. Next to you in the shelter. Next to your tent. That's what he's doing. Why does he do that? Because he loves you. He wants to be close to you. So you can know him. So you can be in relationship with him. Advent is Jesus coming into the world to be our neighbor. Like Mr. Rogers. Because it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? A beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor like you. I always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor. Jesus wants to be your neighbor. He wants to live in the neighborhood with y'all. Think about it like this. Jesus is state farm. When there's disaster, he's there. He's there. When your bills are beating you down, he's there. When your friends turn their backs on you, Jesus is there. When your spouse lets you down, Jesus is there. When you're lonely, Jesus is there. When, when, you, when life is messed up and you're falling short and everything, Jesus is there. When life is well, Jesus is there. When life is just awful, Jesus is there. When your health falls apart, he's there. When you're experiencing some injustice, he's there. When you're tired and you want to quit, he's there with you. But do you believe it? And he's there as a good neighbor, a neighbor who is faithful, true, considerate, loving, merciful, gracious. Not a busybody neighbor, not a nosy neighbor. He's there for your benefit. He's all in your Kool-Aid because he loves you. Not so he can slander you to other neighbors across the street. He's a neighbor who understands what it's like to be you. A neighbor who can heal, one who can restore, one who forgives one who redeems, one who has empathy, a neighbor who is for you. So don't close the door in Jesus' face. Don't run into the house when you see him coming up the road. He is a good neighbor. He wants to be in your neighborhood. And yet he's also with us in another way, not just as a neighbor, but he's with us in another way. Are you familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle? It was a portable earthly dwelling place of Yahweh Elohim amongst his people of Israel during the time of the Exodus and them conquering the promised land. In Exodus 25, 8, Yahweh tells Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them, among them. The tabernacle represented Yahweh's presence amongst his covenant people. His divine presence, his kingly presence, his prophetic presence, and his priestly presence. That's what it represented. And in Numbers chapter 2, Numbers chapter 2, it gives us details about where the tabernacle was located within the camp. 
and where it was always located when the people were on the march because they didn't stay in one place long. They were always marching. But guess where the tabernacle was placed? At the center. When they were in the camp, it was at the center. When they were marching, it was in the center. Why? Why was it in the center? Because Yahweh Elohim is the heart of his people. He's the heart of his people. Their God, their king, their priest, their prophet, their provider, their sustainer, their healer, their redeemer, their forgiver, and their protector. And Jesus has come into the world to be the same for you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Please know, Jesus is Yahweh's, Yahweh Elohim's presence in flesh and blood. Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. Take a moment to ponder what that means. That Jesus is with you that way. Yes, he's your good neighbor, but he's also God with you in the flesh. Yes, amen. Let it touch your heart, your affections, your emotions, will it? He's with y'all as a good neighbor. He's with y'all as Emmanuel. He's with you as a friend. He's with you as your God. John here, he's an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry and to part of Jesus' life. John has history with Jesus, personal experience with him. He walks with Jesus. He lives with Jesus. He knows Jesus personally. He's even part of the inner circle of the disciples along with James and Peter. So John, he has witnessed all the miracles that Jesus has done on earth. He was there sinning. He was there when he turned water into wine. He was there. He was there in the transfiguration. On see Jesus' divine glory. As Matthew 17, 2 says, Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And his face shone as light and his clothes became white as light. They've seen this. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They've seen him ascend into heaven. John has a front row seat to the greatest show on earth, and that is the Jesus show. That is the Jesus show. That's why you can say in verse 14b, we have seen the glory, his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, John doesn't have to be put in the cliff of a rock like Moses who couldn't look at God face to face. You only could see God's back. But in Jesus, you see God's glory face to face. Face to face, you see it. He is the light of God. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. But do you believe it? He's the only begotten son from the Father. And John said, we have seen his glory. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus does that. And verse 14b says, he is full of grace and he is full of truth. God's truth. God's grace. Jesus is full of both. Not one or the other. His measuring cup is always full of those things. And there's no hole in his cup. And his cup never breaks. 
See, John is using covenantal language in reference to Jesus here. And many scholars believe the terms grace and truth here are, are similar to, a, to an Old Testament phrase that says, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you read through any of the Old Testament, anytime you see that phrase, you should know that phrase is referring to Yahweh Elohim's covenant faithfulness to his people. His covenant loyalty. His covenant faithfulness. Jesus is the final and ultimate expression of God's covenant faithfulness and loyalty to you believers. It's on full display in Christ. Christ is, is the full display of God's steadfast love that endures forever. So do you believe it? Live and in color. From Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. We have all received God's unmerited favor through his only begotten son. You see, everything God has for humanity, has for humanity, is wrapped up in Jesus. There's an amen statement. Everything God has for you is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Everything. As Paul says in Ephesians 1 3, blessed be the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the Message Bible says, we live off of his generous bounty. Gift after gift after gift. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And is a good gift. Grace upon grace through him alone. And yet as one Christian says, he says, grace does not manifest itself only with Christ or begin with him, but it flows through God's covenants with his ancient, ancient people long before the word became flesh. This means the giving of the law through Moses is God's grace. The grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ is God's grace. Both are a revelation of who God is. The law reveals God's character and his requirements. But in Christ, you get a much fuller and final revealing of who God is. Jesus is the end game. For those of you who saw the Avengers trailer. He's a fulfillment. The full and final expression of God's grace and truth is wrapped up in Jesus. This is what verse 17 says. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Don't read those verses as a contrast between God's, God's law and God's grace. That's not the point. The contrast is between Moses and Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of something that Moses told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord will rise among you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. Jesus is that prophet. Jesus is that prophet. And through him, we have a revelation of God as father. Think about that. Through Christ, we have a revelation of God as father. In John 14, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus replies to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
he reveals God as Father. And Father is an imminent title, an intimate title, a personal title. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Only he who sits at God, the Father's side, he has made him known. He's made him known to us as Father. J.I. Packer says, if you want to know, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child. Having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Hey, y'all, no amens on that, I see. (laughs) God is your father. Does that prompt your worship? The prayer life, the whole outlook on life, that you navigate this life, you navigate this life as a child and a son. That's what Christ has done. He's reconciled you to God the Father so that you can be in relationship with him. Not just so you can just go to he- die and go to heaven. You can enjoy him now. You can enjoy the Father now. In Christ. God the Father dwells with his people in bodily form. Do you believe it? The incarnation, in the incarnation, God says, I love you. That's what he's saying. In the incarnation, he's saying, I want to be your daddy. In the incarnation, he's saying, I want to be reconciled to you. He says, I want to be your good, good father. The incarnation is the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It is his mercies being made new every morning. It shows that he's for us. The incarnation is the beginning of him crushing the head of the serpent with the seed of the woman. It's God making a way out of no way. It's God making a way for sinful people to be made right with him. In the incarnation, God condescends to us. Think about that. He condescends to us. He lowers himself in order to be close to us and to be known by us. Many of you know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you might become rich. By his poverty, you might become rich. The incarnation is poverty to Jesus. Okay? Being found in human flesh is poverty to Jesus. Dying on the cross is poverty to Jesus. Being buried in the tomb is poverty to Jesus. But these are riches to us who know him in saving faith. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is a humiliation for Jesus. But for us, it's grace upon grace. And does that comfort you? Do you have hope? Does it give you peace? Do you sense that God loves you? That's what Christmas is about. It's reminding you that God loves you. It's a reminder that the greatest gift you can ever have in your life has already been given. 
That's what Christmas reminds us of. So do you want to be made right with God? Do you want him to be your daddy? To be your father? Do you want grace upon grace? Are you tired of playing the same sad song? Are you tired of lying to yourself year after year? Next year going to be my year, Pastor. <laughs> well, you see, next year things going to be different. Stop lying to yourself. Stop playing games with yourself. Apart from Jesus, your life is going to be where it always has been. Finding your identity, your value, and self-worth in people, places, and things other than Jesus. Change the narrative. Come to the light. Come to the sun. Come to the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Jesus in saving faith. Surrender your life to Emmanuel. Confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And repent of your sins, and he will receive you. Because he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. There's a lot of people who are laboring. A lot of people who are heavy laden. But they won't come to Jesus. He says, I will give you rest. Rest from what, pastor? If you're a Christian, it's rest from legalism. It's rest from trying to do what he's already done for you. And if you don't know him, it's salvation. He says, take upon, say, take upon you my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he's offering you. Grace upon grace. If you already have faith in Jesus, are you enjoying Jesus? Honestly, do you enjoy being a Christian? Do you enjoy being God's son and daughter? You can be free to answer. This is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> Honestly, do you enjoy it? Yeah, at times. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. At times. Are you resting in what he has already purchased for you? Forgiveness, acceptance, peace, hope, love, assurance. Those are some wonderful Christmas gifts, but nobody really wants them. Jesus is Emmanuel for you at this very moment. Right now, he's Emmanuel for you. Not simply in your past. Not simply yesterday, but right now as you sit in that chair, he's Emmanuel for you in your present. And he will be Emmanuel for you in your future. He will always be a good neighbor. Now your neighborhood might always be good, but Jesus is going to be good. He will be good. There's a quote that says, when people show you who they really are, believe them the first time. Jesus has shown you. Believe him. He's shown you. Believe him. So, Christian, when you think about Jesus, how he saved us, how he raised us, how he filled us with his Holy Spirit, do you shout for joy? Do you say, thank you, Jesus? You're worthy of all the glory, of all the honor, and all the praise. So, when you think about Jesus, what are the thoughts that you think about? 
What are the thoughts that go through your mind when you think about the lights? Who is Jesus in the places where you really live? Who will he be on Monday? Hope he's Emmanuel. Hope he's your good neighbor. On Christmas Day, 1962, the St. Petersburg Times did a very unusual thing. For that day only, it had two front pages. Two front pages. The editors of the newspaper explained their actions in a small box on the front page. It, it, it read, in keeping with the tradition and spirit of the holidays, the Times this morning has two front pages. Only good news and news in the holiday vein would appear on this page. For a full report on other happenings around the world, you got to see the second, you know, front page. So on the first front page, it has Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And true to their promise, the front page had, no, had, had nothing but good news. There was a large picture of Santa Claus with a big smile and a red suit. There was a story of pilgrims entering the ancient gates of the Holy Land. One of the Pope blessing the human family. Another of the first Christmas in 1604, Maine. And the second front page had news of the world. I don't have to tell you what a contrast it was. The headline reads, Cuban freedom fighters praised by Kennedy. Small articles were in Small articles were, were titled, Mass Gunman Grabs 100,000 in Chicago and a Clash in the Congo. You see, most people are unaware of the damage of their good intentions, like these editors of this newspaper. By having two front pages, they gave the impression that there are two worlds that we live in, two different neighborhoods, and that those events in these worlds and neighborhoods have nothing to do with each other. You see, Advent says there's only one world, one neighborhood, a broken world, an under-resourced neighborhood. And into this world, Christ was born. He was, he, it was into this neighborhood that he moved. My friend, Reverend Adam Tisdale, says, it was on this planet with all of its bleak headlines that Christ, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus moved into your neighborhood and gentrified it with redemption. Gentrified it with his own blood, with his own life, with his own death, with his resurrection. So if you want a neighbor who gentrifies for your good, then you better come to Jesus. You better give your life to Jesus. And when you do, he will always receive you. He will never turn you to the side. And if you already belong to him, he got you. You know, you know what he says? I got you, boo. I got you. I got you. That's slang if you don't know what slang is. <laughs> he got you. You got to believe that. Not just in theology books. You got to believe this stuff right here in your heart and in your soul. That Jesus has you. I can be up here and you know, sweat for you. 
But if you don't believe it for yourself, then it, then it benefits you. No, no, it has no benefit to you whatsoever. Preaching has no power apart from the Holy Spirit. And you can't move out of your chains apart from him either. And so I encourage you, whoever you're dealing with, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you as Emmanuel. Ask him to remind you that he's with you whatever you're going through. Because either this stuff is real or we are just losers. Let's be honest with you. Either this is real or people should pity us. They should pity and feel sorry for us. Because we're fools. We're fools if none of this is true. But it is true. And by faith, that's how we come to believe it's true. And for all the kids here, I know I'm, I'm like, I don't ever understand Pastor Alice's sermons. I understand. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But the Spirit can work in you in such a way that you can. Okay? So this holiday season, be reminded that Christmas is God saying, I will always love you. I'll always be with you as your father. Let us pray. Lord, you, I know sometimes, Father, we, we see you as our earthly fathers. And if we have bad dads, we project those things on you. I pray that you will redeem that father view of who you are in us all. And that through your spirit, we will learn to, to live more and more as sons and daughters. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move in our hearts this week. Help us to walk in confidence, not in us ourselves, but confidence in who we are in Jesus, who we already are in Jesus. There's nothing that we, got, we can do this week to earn more of your favor because we already have it all right now. Help us to live in that truth. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand?